Chapter fourteen of Six Years in the Prisons of England by a Merchant, edited by Frank Henderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen The New Arrangements as to Remissions, Artificial Legs, Another Interview with the Visiting Director, Compose Verses, Hospital Once More, Fenians, Prisoners' Letters asking pardon of my readers for the rather serious digressions i have made in the preceding chapter i now return to my narrative shortly after the new regulations were made known to the prisoners i wrote a letter to my brother and in this solitary instance i confess in a somewhat ironical strain and as a matter of course the letter was suppressed I remember one passage in it was to the following effect. A new arrangement has lately taken place which grants to all frequently convicted prisoners with the same sentence as myself two years of unexpected remission, so that if they should deal as leniently with me, I shall soon be home. This was an allusion to the repel of an old regulation whereby convicts who had revoked a former license were thereby disqualified for receiving any remission from a subsequent sentence prisoners therefore who had so disqualified themselves had been reconvicted under the old regulation were quite unprepared for being placed on the same footing in all respects as those who had been convicted for the first time which was actually the case under the new regulations. Prisoners' conversance with the recommendation of the Royal Commissioners anticipated quite a different policy on the part of the authorities. They expected that men who had succumbed to strong temptation and who had never been in prison before would have been more mercifully dealt with, and that increased severity would have been visited upon those who had already had several opportunities of redeeming their character, but had fully proved their determination to continue in their evil ways. But the authorities decided otherwise. About this time there occurred a circumstance which I must mention. One of my fellow prisoners with a deformed foot asked the medical officer to amputate his leg below the knee. The request was complied with, and the patient, who was a very stout fellow, was provided with a mechanical substitute, with springs in the heel. This man's brother was a professional thief, and both are still in the same prison under different names. The artificial leg was altogether unsuitable for a man in his position in life, inasmuch as he would not be able to pay the expense of repairing it. That, however, I had nothing to do with. The leg was made by a prisoner, and being a nice-looking article, it was exhibited to strangers in the doctor's room for a considerable time, to show them how kind they were to the prisoners, and to keep up that system, so dear to officials, of washing the outside of the platter for the public gaze whilst all uncleanliness remained within. Another prisoner, who met with an accident at the public works, and lost his leg in endeavouring to save an officer's life, arrived at the prison 
and was also provided with a mechanical substitute. Feeling my health failing me, I thought that an artificial leg, by enabling me to take exercise or get into the field to work, might save me from again being sent to hospital, and seeing other prisoners getting them, I resolved to petition the director for the same favour. I was further encouraged in my resolution by the fact that it was a new director who was then inspecting the prison. The visiting day arrived, and as before, I was ushered into the presence of the new official, and placed between two warders with staves in their hands. At the desk sat the new director, by his side stood the governor, and in front of the desk the chief warder. Well, what do you want? I told him that I had lost my leg in prison, that I was feeling my health giving way, that I was anxious to be in a position to move about a little better, and would feel very grateful if he would allow me to have an artificial leg, the same as the other prisoners had. The governor endeavoured to deny that any artificial legs had been furnished to prisoners, but being prepared for something of that kind, I gave the particulars I have already mentioned, which were confirmed by the chief warder. The result was that the director promised to see the doctor on the subject. I was glad to see a disposition on the part of the new director to listen to the prisoner without any attempt to bully him, and became sanguine of the success of my petition. Next visit, however, it was curtly refused on the ground of expense. As it so happened, I was obliged to go to the hospital once more after the lapse of a few weeks, and swallowed as much quinine there as cost far more than an artificial leg made by a prisoner whose labours at knitting was not worth a penny a day would have done. The prisoner who lost the deformed leg began to use his artificial substitute, and two or three times it got out of repair. One of these repairs was said to have cost 30s in London. In the long run it was broken, and an ordinary wooden peg-leg substituted, which was the only one suitable to his position. I now began to be exceedingly depressed in spirits, and this depression operated prejudicially to my health. I began at this time to string couplets together as an exercise for my mind and my memory, and so great was the relief which was thus afforded me that I ventured to compose verses in earnest, and succeeded in this way in particularly forgetting my troubles. To keep them in my memory was the most difficult task, as it was quite contrary to the prison rules to write one's own compositions in a copy-book. If John Bunyan had been unfortunate enough to get into one of our model prisons, the Pilgrim's Progress would have been unwritten. From this time up to the close of my imprisonment, I exercised my mind in the manufacture of verses, my stock ultimately amounting to many hundreds of lines, which my memory faithfully retained. My chest having now become very painful and weak, in consequence of so much reading aloud as I was obliged to do on a somewhat poor diet, I was compelled to enter the hospital a second time, 
suffering from severe general debility accompanied by a cough after having been about thirteen months in the prison on my admission i received a change of diet and tonic medicines for some weeks i was confined to bed and not till six months had elapsed i was discharged an event took place during my second sojourn in the hospital which caused much excitement among the prisoners this was the stabbing of a scripture reader by one of the patients the case was afterwards disposed of at the aziz and the culprit was sentenced to five years penal servitude as his former sentence had as much to run this was considered as a triumph on the part of the prisoner he committed the crime not with intent to kill but for the purpose of bringing his case before the public and of being removed to another prison he had committed a similar crime before but the directors had disposed of it privately so that the particulars of it should not reach the newspapers in this case to which i refer the prisoner alleged on his trial that the doctor would not give him treatment for his complaint he found that it was of no use complaining to a higher authority that he could not get removed to another prison nor procure the treatment he had been accustomed to receive for his disease he was much beyond the ordinary convict in point of ability he defended himself cross-examined the authorities and made some of the chiefs cut very sorry figures under the divining rod he at last gained his point for he exposed the authorities and obtained his removal to another prison where he would have what he considered proper medical treatment good food being an essential item in the prescription after this case occurred the governor was allowed to retire on a pension or in the language of the convicts he got the sack in a genteel way but in reality the doctor was a man on whom the responsibility rested and it was him the prisoner wished to stab and not the scripture reader but he never could get the opportunity i noticed this case chiefly to show that our present law is inoperative in the case of a class of prisoners of which this one was a fair type he was a sad cripple walking with the assistance of two crutches and dragging his legs behind him he was afflicted with spinal disease and heart complaint he had been a convict before and had lived all the time like a fighting cock commanding medical treatment and working only as it suited himself he had nothing to fear in the commission of crime except being sent to hospital and his disease would compel the majority of doctors to give him good diet and good general treatment if they had refused or neglected to do so the prisoner's life would have been sacrificed whatever may have been the truth in his case he felt and believed that his days were being shortened and he was one of those who would rather have died on the scaffold than submit to a lingering death in prison a short time ago he was found dead in his cell it was asserted that he had taken some medicines internally which was intended for external application and that he had thus poisoned himself it was alleged that his object was to make himself ill 
in order to obtain better treatment. This is somewhat doubtful, but as his death took place at another prison, I am unable to give more particulars. The newspapers having commented rather severely on this stabbing case, it was deemed necessary by the prison authorities to have a counter-current set in motion. For this purpose, an inquest was held on the body of a deceased convict. All the chief authorities were called to this special inquest, and three prisoner nurses were also examined, and the result appeared in the newspapers to the great astonishment of the prisoners. It was reported that the coroner had held an inquest on the body of a deceased convict, and found that the deceased had received excellent diet and medical treatment. He further expressed his surprise to find the prisoners received such luxuries in prison as fish, fowl, and jellies in addition to wines, etc. If they had not mentioned the fish, fowls, and jellies, the prisoners might not have taken much notice of it. But the facts being as follows, it must be confessed that they had some grounds for making uncomplimentary remarks. For thirty-two or thirty-three months previous to the inquest, there had been no fowls in the hospital, and there never had been either fish or jellies served to patients during the whole period the prison had been in existence. Sometime after the inquest, there were two or three souls cooked for dying prisoners, one of them being a Fenian. After the arrival of the Fenians and a new priest, there was a considerable alteration in the hospital treatment. Fowls became quite common, apple pies, meat pies, and sundry other luxuries being introduced, fish and jellies being still wanting. However, to bear out the newspaper report, I do not wish it to be understood that the Fenians received better medical treatment than the other prisoners nor is that position generally much better. They sat at work in the same room with me. They had the privilege of exercising by themselves, but judging from their eagerness for my society and political conversation, they seemed to consider the privilege in the light of a punishment. One concession was made to them, however, which at first rather surprised me. They were allowed to write to their friends as often, when they were in the third class, as other prisoners were allowed who were in the first, and the censorship over their letters was not very severe. One of the head centres and one of the principal writers and agitators in the would-be rebellious sister isle was a tall, bony, cadaverous-looking man, afflicted with scrofula. He could have ate double his allowance of food, and probably he required more than he was allowed. At all events, he thought he was not getting proper treatment, and wrote a very strong letter on the subject to his friends. This letter was considered a liable on the establishment, but the governor and director decreed that the letter should pass, as it would show the Fenians outside that their friends in prison were not on a bed of roses. This was acting in quite a contrary direction to that which was usually followed with the correspondence of other prisoners. Any letter that told of the comforts of the prison and gave the friends of the prisoner the idea that he was in paradise was sure to pass. 
and the writer of it would also get into the good graces of the officials. But if there were any word of complaint, especially if addressed to any person of influence, the extinguisher was put upon it at once. I remember one of the patients writing to his friends that he was unwell, but that he really did not know very well what to say about his complaint. As one doctor told him to get out of bed and knock about, as there was nothing the matter with him, while another told him he was dying, and on no account to leave his bed, and between the two he did not know what to do. This was at the time when the two medical officers seemed to pull against each other. The letter produced an unimprovement in them, but it was never allowed to reach its destination. Another case was that of a Quaker's letter, the only one of the creed I met with in prison. He was a quiet old man, and for upwards of three years had been allowed certain trifling privileges on account of his religious opinions. One of them was his being allowed to sit when grace was said before meals. One day a young consequential officer happened to be on duty in the ward where the Quaker was domiciled, and when he called attention for grace, the Quaker, as usual, kept his seat. The officer ordered him to stand up, and the Quaker, having attempted to explain he was reported, and besides being sent to choking, forfeited some of his remissions for the offence. He wrote to an influential Quaker in the north of England, explaining the particulars of the case, but his letter contained one clause sufficient to condemn it in the eyes of the prison officials, and it was this. Be good enough to send this letter to John Bright, Esquire, M.P. End of chapter 14